Today is the last Sunday of the season of Easter. And it is a tradition on this particular day to tell the story of Jesus' ascension into heaven, how he departed from this world and the fellowship of his disciples to be glorified forever in the presence of God. Our second reading this morning is the fullest account of this event that we receive in Scripture. It comes from the very beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, a book which picks up exactly where the Gospel of Luke leaves off. Written by the same author, Luke and Acts are like a two-volume set, and both are addressed to the same person, someone called Theophilus, which means beloved of God. Well, guess what? Beloved of God? That's us. So let's listen to the word of God for us today. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. When I was a child, I was convinced that there was no better party favor than a balloon. I didn't care whether we went to the playground or to the skating rink whether there was ice cream cake or cookie cake, what really made any birthday party was the favors. Would I walk away with a bag of candy to devour on the car ride home? That might be all right. But what I really wanted was to leave with a ribbon around my wrist and a bright, buoyant balloon bouncing above my head. But everyone knows that balloons are much more fun when they are not secured to your wrist. So it was inevitable 
that on the ride home, despite my mother's warnings, I would start digging my nails underneath the knot in that ribbon, or I would stretch it until it thinned and frayed and slipped over my hand. And the balloon would wobble up to the ceiling and I would pull it back close. I knew the risks. I knew the risks once we got out of the car. But little fingers are wiggly and they get sweaty when they're holding on to a tiny piece of ribbon so hard. So sometimes it felt almost predetermined, like it was bound to happen, that somewhere between the car and the front door, I would let it loose. And I would gasp and scramble and grab, but up, 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 and away it would go, smaller and smaller into the sky, just swimming up there, away from me. My mother would say, well, that was that. And she'd start going inside. But you know my feet would be planted and my neck would be craned because I just had to watch it until it was gone. I imagine how the disciples felt watching Jesus rise up into the air after everything they had seen and heard in the past few years. Miracle healings, Jesus' challenging lessons, and then the terror of the cross and the wonder of the empty tomb. Most recently, they had come to know the risen Christ, walking and talking and eating and drinking and teaching and loving them all throughout the best 40 days of their lives. After all that, then to see him rising up from the earth and into the clouds, I would want to watch that as long as I could. But then, two strangers enter the scene. They're all dressed in white. Presumably, they are angels. And they question what the disciples are doing. Men of Galilee, they say, why? Why do you stand looking up toward heaven? To me, that seems like a question with an obvious answer. The disciples are transfixed by what they have seen, and they are caught up in all that they feel. They are in awe of the ascension. Perhaps they feel some apprehension about what is next. And surely they are sad to be parting with Jesus. So it's complicated. I understand why they feel stuck in place. And hey, men in white. Since when is it a bad idea to try to keep your eyes on Jesus? But the angels have an answer for that one. Look, they say, this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, you know he's going to come back in the same way that he left. Jesus will be back. But apparently waiting for Jesus' return by gawking up at the sky is not the right thing to do. It is not behavior befitting disciples. So move along. That seems to be what the angels are saying. And the disciples do have places to be. Jesus has called them to take the gospel back to Jerusalem, to all Judea and Samaria, and then to the whole world. The disciples need to be looking ahead to the challenging work of evangelism, and it will not help them if they have their heads in the clouds. 
perhaps the urging of the angels is something that the disciples need to hear, to move along, to get to work. Such a message holds appeal for us because we were raised to value hard work. We like having a purpose and we savor a challenge. We want to do something. We don't waste time standing around when there are mouths to feed and wounds to heal and wrongs to right and this amazing story to tell. Come on, apostles, let's act. No one is going to call us the frozen chosen. Let's go. Let's go. Only, not so fast. Let's not misunderstand the angel's message. I don't want for us to miss what is in fact Jesus' final command and the only clear imperative in this text. Yes, Jesus points toward the future, but then he orders the disciples to wait. Wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the baptism of the Spirit. Wait for the days and hours that no one knows. Just wait. Hard to hear. Even harder to do. I once knew a man who'd lived his whole life in nursing homes and hospitals. He was in his 40s, but he was already in a long, slow decline to the point that he was really too weak to walk and he had to stay in bed all the time. And he had to undergo nearly constant medical procedures just to stay alive like that. I was a student chaplain that summer and he would show up on my unit every few weeks and stay for more than a few days. We got to know each other well because he would call the chaplain's office every time he had a medical procedure scheduled, whether it was large or small, emergency or routine, so that someone would come and pray with him before it took place, and that someone was me. So we would pray, but we would also just sit and talk, waiting for the nurse or the orderly to come, and sometimes that took a while. At some point, without fail, Silence would fall, and then he would say it. It's just hurry up and wait, he would say, just like that. He said it all the time. Hurry up and wait. It was just a few words, a cliche, meant to cover over the anxiety and the frustration of the moment we were in, and it didn't really work. Because over the sound of the machines, I thought I could hear his heart saying, I'm tired of waiting. I've been waiting my whole life. I just want the wait to be over. And I could feel the undertow of his helplessness on my own heart. How very hard it was to wait, even when there was nothing, really nothing else to do. Waiting is a pain. Perhaps for some of us, in certain kinds of situations, it gets easier. Or when you're waiting for something good, something longed for, perhaps you can find some joy in anticipation. But if you're anything like me, you're more likely to associate waiting with discomfort. 
You've waited in line so long that your whole body aches and you just want to sit down. You've waited up so late that you can barely keep your eyes open. You've waited in the restaurant for the friend or for the date 20 minutes, 30 minutes, more, until you finally left feeling foolish and forgotten. You've waited. You've waited for the text or for the call, taking your phone out of your pocket every 10 seconds. You've waited. Waiting is painful. Waiting is hard. So where does that leave us? Christ has asked us to wait. But the angel's message is also clear that faithful waiting must be a particular thing. Christians wait on God. And that's going to look a certain way. A few years ago, I had the chance to go on a retreat to a monastery in upstate New York. It was part of a class I was taking during seminary during the January term, exactly halfway through my three-year course of study. So it was the mathematical moment when my starting out became my finishing up a turning point, and somehow I wanted this retreat to be special. The schedule was intentionally flexible. We had the freedom to socialize or not, to go to worship or not, to read, to pray, to journal, or just to walk in the woods, or not. And to be honest, having so many choices made me restless, so that by the last evening, I had done a little bit of everything. And I don't know what I had been expecting, really, but coming to the end, I guess I was a touch disappointed. I decided I was ready to go home. Still, in those final hours, I made one last choice. I decided that I was going to wake up early and watch the sunrise on the Hudson River. It seemed like an appropriately spiritual activity. It was reflective, in touch with the beauty of nature and the cosmos. And it was also somewhat arduous, because I don't really like getting up that early when I'm not being forced. So I set my alarm and woke up in the dark. I bundled up, and I grabbed a cup of coffee from the communal kitchen, and I stepped outside onto the balcony to watch the sky catch fire. Except that it didn't. Minutes went by with no perceptible change. Am I looking in the right direction? I wondered. Did I get the time right? I googled. Maybe today is the day it doesn't happen. I panicked slightly and then I ridiculed myself for panicking. And I kept waiting. I waited. And then at long last, ever so slowly, it did happen. The darkness started to change from deep black to deep purple, to dull gray, to white. The sun was rising, but it was rising behind the thickest snow clouds you've ever seen. So you couldn't really see. But the funny thing is, in that moment, at long last, I felt the peace that I was seeking. 
and the energy that I needed to live precisely in the moment when I did not get what I expected. Because in that sunrise that wasn't, I saw God's power steadily transforming the world without my input. And I could not help then but think of God's faithfulness, consistent, morning after morning, day after day, for you, for me, for everyone, whether we are awake to it or not. God is mighty, and God is faithful. I'm beginning to think that's what Christ's ascension is really about. We can be easily deceived into thinking it's a story about a distant God who leaves all the work of the world up to us and, you know, get to it. But I think it's really about waiting. And waiting not in the despair of our own limitations and failures, but waiting with hope in the power and the faithfulness of Christ, who is all in all. Not Christ on the end of a string. Not even Christ on a golden throne in the sky, sitting tight until the second coming. This Jesus Christ, this Jesus is in all times and in all places, in our joy, in our suffering, in our striving, in our rest, in what we know, and in the many, many things we do not. I would not recommend putting your faith in a God any smaller than that. Though I am afraid that is always the habit of disciples. We would stand looking after a fading pinpoint in the sky when the Holy Spirit is about to blow through the whole town. And that is why we need the angel's advice to broaden our vision from the past experience of faith we have outgrown to the wild and wonderful reality of our living God's plan that is still unfolding. A plan that stretches beyond earth and beyond heaven to eternity. Just you wait. But while you're at it, get your hopes up, too. It's going to be good. Because that's the God we've got. Or rather, that's the God who's got us. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever, world without end. Amen.